This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. This week, I'm going to talk about prayer because we believe at Word of Grace that the fundamentals of Christianity are prayer, scripture, and availability. And we want to be growing in all three of those areas and we want to be strong in those areas so that we can prepare for whatever it is that life would try to bring our way. That's the way we get close to God. And we're going to talk about prayer this morning. So if you're a note taker, write this down. Teach us to pray. That's the title of my message. Teach us to pray. Because we all know we should pray, right? Everyone knows that. I mean, everyone kind of has sort of this guilty conscience. No matter how much time you spend in prayer, you always feel like, am I doing it enough? How do I know when I'm praying enough? Or if perhaps your prayer life is inconsistent, you feel like, man, it needs to be consistent. I need to be uh, more intentional about praying. Or if your prayer life is non-existent, at some level you know that you should pray. And I think each one of us know how to pray, really, if you think about it. Because at some level, all of us know how to reach out and cry out to God. Because when the pressure comes and when the weight of life would try to come and crush us, we go, help! And sometimes that's our prayer to God, is help! Amen! And then we may cry out to God when we're struggling with something. God, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. Lord, I need your peace. Or God, heal this family member who's in this uh, physical condition or heal my physical body or whatever the case is. At some level, we all know how to make those desperate cries to God. And so at some level, I believe we all know how to pray. There's an intimidation factor that comes along with people praying, and so they don't do it. We make all of the excuses. We will say, well, I don't know how to pray, or I don't know if I'm praying the right thing, so I'm just not going to do it. I'll just ask someone who knows what they're doing to do it for me, and I'll just crutch on that. Well, here's what I want for us today. I want us to all grow to the next level and have our mind renewed concerning the subject of prayer so that we're not crutching, so that we're not making excuses excuses so that we're not being passive, that we're being very proactive in investing and being people of prayer, being a church that prays because Jesus at my Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And I believe that the people of the house of the Lord should be a people of prayer. Amen? Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus prayed all of the time. We see multiple times all throughout Scripture where Jesus prayed. Check this out in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that and open it up to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have some that you can borrow um, there at the back by the sound booth. And if you don't own a Bible, consider that our gift to you. It's the same translation of the Bible of what, as what I preach out of, which is the English Standard. So I'd love for you to make sure that you have a Bible. Um, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. What a powerful scripture. Let's just think about that for a minute. Jesus was praying, and obviously the disciples were either in earshot of his prayer, or they were watching him pray, or whatever the case was. The Bible isn't clear on exactly what happened in that particular scenario. But what we do know is that Jesus was praying and something in the disciples said, teach us how to do that. And Jesus did a lot of awesome things, amen? He was the greatest teacher the world has ever known, the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of the earth or ever will walk the face of the earth. The disciples seen him perform miracles. The disciples seen him raise the dead. 
The disciples seen how he argued with the different people that would try to take him down and how he made them just go, wow, this, this guy has just got us all kinds of uh, 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 perplexed by the wisdom with which he speaks. Even when they tried to trap him, they saw how, how strong Jesus was. They saw how wise he was. They saw how he would perform miracles. But yet, out of all of those things that Jesus did, we never see in Scripture a disciple saying, Jesus, teach me how to walk on water. Jesus, teach me how to, how to heal the sick. We never see him say, Jesus, teach me how you preach so well. Even though all of those things were really impressive that Jesus could do better than anyone had ever done that's ever walked the face of this earth. But the one thing that they did ask him to do that we have a record of them asking was teach us how to pray. Out of everything that Jesus did, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus goes on to teach them what we affectionately call the Lord's Prayer. But I think it's kind of funny that we call it the Lord's Prayer because some of the words in the prayer, Jesus could never pray. The very thing that we call the Lord's Prayers, uh, it's not a prayer that he would actually pray because when he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Jesus had nothing to be forgiven of. He was perfect in every way, right? So he was teaching his disciples, listen, this is how you have communion with God. This is how you talk to God. This is how you approach God. And he wasn't saying you have to do it exactly this way and you have to say these exact words. He was saying this is a way that you can connect and talk to God. And I want to teach you how to do it by just starting with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer was never meant to be the end of our prayer journey. It was only meant to be the very foundation. Just much like uh, the journey of generosity begins with the tithe, that doesn't end with the tithe. Just like we see that our journey of prayer doesn't end with the Lord's Prayer. It begins with the Lord's Prayer. God is trying to give us something to start with, to develop something in our heart, and to begin to lead us and guide us into a life that will glorify God. And Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And he showed them in many different instances all throughout his life where prayer was a priority. But some of us have this bad idea about prayer. We've got this misguided thought process when it comes to prayer. We look at it as if it were something that's difficult to do. We approach prayer as if it were work, as if it were something we had to labor to do. But Jesus didn't look at prayer that way. That's not the way that Jesus looked at prayer. Jesus viewed prayer as rest because prayer truly is rest, not work. We've got to change our mentality towards the way that we look at prayer. When I first moved here four and a half years ago, I made the decision that I wanted to lose weight. And I hired a personal trainer, and I lost over 70 pounds, but it didn't happen overnight. I had to have an aha moment and that moment came for uh, came when one of the uh, one of the times I was supposed to have done like all this homework that the trainer told me to do, where I was supposed to work out on this day and this day and this day, not just the days that I was training with the individual, and I didn't do it. And I was getting pretty good at not doing my homework that the trainer told me to do. And he would hold me accountable to it, and I came in, and I knew he was going to ask me the question. So, did you do the exercises I told you to do? This was when I was first starting out, and I said no. I didn't do those. He said, why? And I said, you don't understand. I'm a pastor. I'm really, really busy. Let me tell you what I did today. I had four meetings before noon, and then I had to take phone calls and respond to emails, and then I've got a meeting this evening, and I barely had time to squeeze in to come here. The only reason I'm here is because I'm paying you, you know, to train me, and, 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 and I'm grabbing food on the go, and I'm just busy. I just don't have time. He said, you know, it sounds to me 
like you're giving a lot of yourself away. He said, so what do you do for yourself to invest in yourself? And I began to think, huh, I never thought about investing in myself. What do I do for myself? And I began to think, well, maybe I watch a little bit of TV. I, you know, maybe I you know, enjoy reading a good book. I, I, what, what do I do for myself? He said, why don't you do this? He said, why don't you make working out and your weight loss goals, he said, why don't you make that something that you're doing to actually enjoy for yourself that nobody else can be a part of. This is just your time. And when he said that, something just clicked in my brain. Something just said, wow, this is my time. This is something I can do for me. And it changed my whole perspective to where from that day on, I have never had a problem getting to the gym. I love going. It's something I enjoy because my perception of what it was and what it could be changed. And it's the same thing with prayer. A lot of times people avoid prayer because they think that it's work. They think it's labor. It's not something they look forward to. And because of that, they've got a wrong mentality towards it, so they just don't engage in it. But if we truly understood... That prayer was something that where we enjoy who God is and we get to know Him on a deep, personal, one-on-one, intimate level that it's actually rest. And I'm not talking about just praying as a church because we do things like that where we'll pray together as a church family. I'll say, bow your head and close your eyes and we'll pray together. Or where you pray with your family. I love it when I see families at restaurants out in public grab hands around the table and pray before they have their meal. I, I love that they take the time and the priority to do that, and they're not ashamed to do that. I, I absolutely love seeing that. But I'm not talking even about praying with your family or praying with your children before you go to bed or praying with your spouse or praying with your small group. All of those things are great, and I would encourage you to do all of those. But I'm talking about a personal, intimate time with just you and God where you are talking to Him and He speaks to your heart and there's no distraction and there's no uh, uh, busyness going around. It's just you and God. If we look at prayer as rest, we will be drawn to it a lot more. Look at Luke chapter 5. Just turn a few pages back if you're still in Luke 11. Luke chapter 5, let's look at verse 16. Luke 5 in verse 16, Jesus had just finished teaching, he had just finished healing, he had just finished doing miracles and all sorts of things. And then verse 16 of Luke 5 says this, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He would withdraw. Some translations say he would slip away often to go and pray. What do you slip away to do when the pressure's on in your life and you need a break? What do you withdraw to? Do you withdraw to your cottage? Do you withdraw to a vacation? Do you withdraw to your basement and say, leave me alone? Don't come around me. Don't ask me. My name is not dad today. (laughs) Change my name. How do you withdraw when you're overwhelmed with life's pressures? When you're burdened, when you're worried, when you're frustrated, and you just need to unplug. What do you withdraw to? There's so many things that we do, and those things aren't in and of themselves bad. Uh, One of the ways I love to clear my head is I love to get on my motorcycle when the weather's nice and go ride, or I love to get a book or maybe watch a movie or something like that. That's a great way for me to unplug and disconnect. But the way Jesus unplugged and the way Jesus disconnected when the pressures of life were overwhelming was that he didn't run to the freezer to get Ben and Jerry's. He went away to desolate places to pray. 
But yeah, but that was Jesus. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. You see, we need to never forget the humanity of Jesus. Because yes, although he was God, he was still man. And the Bible says very clearly that he was tempted in every way like we were. That all of the temptations you faced, Jesus can empathize and sympathize because he was tempted the same ways. He was... He struggled. He was frustrated. He just never sinned. He overcame those things because he, he was full of the Holy Spirit, both fully God and fully man, and he didn't sin, even though he was tempted to, even though there were times where he was tired. Jesus needed to take naps, okay? Jesus would be in situations where he would say, Peter, get on my face. Get on my nerves. Because Peter would get on Jesus' nerves. <laughs> He said, get thee behind me, Satan. That means you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> he would say, listen, I need to be alone. I need to withdraw because he would get tired. Even though he was fully God, he was still fully man, which means he had the full human experience, which means that Jesus would bleed if he would cut himself. It means he needed to take a nap when he got tired. He didn't have this ability to live without needing to sleep because otherwise he wouldn't truly understand the human experience. But yet he chose to submit himself to that human experience so that we could understand that he cares for us in every single way. So instead of him unplugging by going and watching the camel races or whatever they do, back in Jesus' day, Jesus would oftentimes go and recharge by being alone to pray because he looked at this was my time to spend alone with the father to simply rest and not look at it as laboring but look at it as resting something that i go to instead of something i have to do you understand what i'm saying this morning so many people look at prayer as something as a Christian we have to do instead of something that I get to do. Oh, finally, I get to spend time alone with God in prayer. Finally, I get to be alone and just spend that however much time it is. And, and, and I know that sometimes some of you will say, well, I spend alone time with God praying when I'm driving down the road on my commute to work or maybe you have a meeting, like sometimes I'll have meetings in like Milwaukee or Green Bay or something like that and I'll use that time. And sometimes I will pray on those commutes and that's great and I would encourage you to do that but I'm talking about something deeper than that because when you're in your car, you're not fully engaged with God. At least you shouldn't be. <laughs> you need to be aware of what's happening around you. <laughs> What did you get in this uh, accident? Uh, what was going on? I was spending time with Jesus. Well, you should have been spending time looking at the road. <laughs> you can pray and talk to God while you're driving, but you better be alert and aware. I'm talking about eliminate all distractions. Not riding in the car with the radio on, with your cell phone, and, and paying attention to try to dodge all the orange cones that have grown, that overgrowth of orange we've had lately. And you're trying to avoid all of that. And you're trying to talk to God at the same time. You're conversation is only going to go so deep. I'm talking about quiet, no distractions, no TV. No, no, don't even bring a book. Maybe just even bring a journal. Maybe not even that. Eliminate those distractions and get to a place. Maybe it's before 
your other family members wake up, or maybe it's after they go to bed, or maybe it's somewhere that you need to come and be alone and you need to find that place, you can come to this church during the week when it's open and available, and, and you can, I'll make sure you have quiet time. Just let us know you're coming so we don't walk in on you or freak out. Oh, you didn't know you were here. It's kind of freaky. We want to make sure that you let us know, so make sure you have that quiet time available because I think that it's important that we invest and we prepare by praying alone intimately with the Father. And we look at that as a time of rest, a time where we are able to be completely vulnerable and transparent with God, where we can vent if we need to vent, where we can petition if we need to petition, where we can stand in the gap for others if we need to be standing in the gap for others, where it's just us focusing on God with no distraction. Look at Matthew chapter 14, another instance. Matthew 14 and verse 23. Jesus had just finished teaching a lot of people. He was teaching from a boat because he could get out in the water and use the natural acoustics of the water where his voice would carry because they didn't have amplification like we have nowadays. And so he got in a boat and, and he would he would use that water for amplification, and he had been teaching for quite a while, and there was a multitude of people, thousands of people, followed Jesus around and wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he went out in the boat, taught them, and this guy is tired, and he, and, and, and he needed to recharge. So here's what he did in verse 23, Matthew 14. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, a lot of times... We would think, if I'm tired, I don't want to pray because if I'm viewing it as work, then it's just one more thing I have to do. But that's not how Jesus viewed prayer. Jesus viewed prayer as something he wanted to do after he had been spent, after he had exhausted himself. Because after you've worked a 10, 12-hour day, have you ever thought, man, I really need to go pray? Or have we thought, oh gosh, I've got to go pray? Oftentimes we think that way because our perspective is bent towards looking at prayer incorrectly. And the enemy loves when people who are believers view prayer that way because he knows that he can keep us from praying because we have a bad attitude and a bad mentality towards prayer. But if we begin to look at it as something that I go to instead of something I have to do or something that I feel this sense of gnawing and obligation and even though I don't really want to do it and, oh man, I tried to do the whole set my alarm thing and, oh, I just can't get this prayer thing down. Instead of that, look at it as, man, I'm really tired. I'm really stressed out. I need to go pray. I need to get my heart reset because the, 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 I'm not hearing the voice of God. I'm not feeling his presence. I'm not, I'm not hearing uh, uh, that still small voice. I'm not feeling that peace that passes my understanding. I, I am zapped. I'm exhausted. I need to go pray. What a powerful thing, but that's exactly what Jesus did because prayer is pressing into God. We press into God through prayer. James 5 and 16 says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's something where when we have a petition to God that we stand in faith and we petition him because we know he's faithful. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. You can flip over there real quick. We're going to go through quite a bit of scripture today, so I'm not going to... Uh, try to wait for you every time. You can find the notes on version if you have the Bible app. 
And uh, if you miss a scripture, but just try to write them down if you can't flip there quick enough. Luke 18 and verse 1. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So Jesus is about to teach a parable here specifically about how to pray. Verse 2, Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to Jesus and said, uh, kept coming to the judge and said, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while the judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by continually coming. So in other words, this lady is getting on my nerves. And she keeps coming every single day and demanding that I give her justice. Now remember, this judge was not um, uh, one who feared the Lord. Let's look here. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, when we petition God, it's not the volume of our prayer that moves his hand. When we petition God, it's not the sincerity of our prayers or how deeply we think that God should do this. It's not really even the amount of times that we pray, and it's not even the words that we necessarily use to try to impress God to get his hand to move in our situation. What Jesus said is that when it concerns prayer, it's not only persistence, but it's persistence trusting that God is faithful and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Because he said when the Son of Man comes, is he going to find faith? Every instance where Jesus healed someone, when he touched them, and we see him do an amazing miracle in their physical body, Jesus almost every time says, Daughter, son, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. In other words, you believed that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do. You took him at his word, and you believed that he was who that he said that he was, and you trusted that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Because sometimes when you pray, you don't immediately get the answer. Have you figured that out? And you want to give up, and you want to go, oh, well, I don't know about this whole prayer thing. I tried it once, and it didn't work, or I committed a week to it, and it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. And so because I'm going to throw my hands up in the air, Jesus said, no, that widow was persistent. And she knew that justice was right. And because she knew that justice in that situation was right, she would not relent. That's why the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much in James 5 and 16. Because we see that when we have faith in God and we hold fast to that confession of our faith, that God does what only God can do in every circumstance in our life for His glory. It's up to us to trust Him. It's up to us to say, yes, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to let go of this. And I'm going to keep petitioning. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep saying, Lord, I want to pray. Because guess what? When you continually pray, when you steadfastly pray, when you continually have that quiet time with God where you're petitioning Him and praying uh, to Him, sometimes your heart gets in this tender state to where you can hear things that you weren't hearing before. 
And all of a sudden, you find out that you're praying for that family member to change. God speaks to you in the middle of your prayer after you've been praying for them for about three months and said, no, it's you who needs to change. But you didn't hear that message three months ago because your heart wasn't in a position to receive that. You were thinking it was everybody else who was the problem. And because you petitioned God about this and you brought it before Him, God showed you something you didn't see before. And next thing you know, you're going, oh, wow. Or perhaps God gives you some divine strategy that you didn't see before to where you're going, I know exactly what to do now. But it took time for your heart to get to the place to where you could hear that. Because you can tell someone what's true, and it's still true. That doesn't change, but the way they receive it and the way they hear it, man, there's a lot of things surrounding whether they're going to get it or not, right? And you sound like, man, I I feel like every time I talk, I sound like a broken record because everything I say just goes in that person's ear and goes out the other. And it seems like nothing's sticking, and it seems like they just don't get it. And you want to give up. But then something happens in their life to where their heart gets tender and they hear it differently. And all of a sudden, something that you've been hearing for 10 years or something you've been telling someone for 10 years, the light bulb goes off. It's the same thing when we continually petition the Lord. As we pray, as we continually seek His face, all of a sudden, things that you've heard your whole life become more real to you and more palatable to you than ever before. And you know exactly what you need to do. As to where 10 years ago, you didn't know what to do. As to where you wanted to give up, but because you pressed and because you kept at it, because you trusted, God proved Himself faithful. Or God showed you that His timing is perfect throughout the circumstance. Because if God would have answered your prayer when you asked it originally, that it wouldn't have been the optimal circumstance. But when you're on the other side of the issue, you can stand back from your vantage point and go, wow, God knew what He was doing. It was just up to me to continually do my part to make sure that I'm growing in trust, that I'm petitioning Him, that I'm pressing into Him through prayer. Um, Mark 9 and 29 is a story about Jesus freeing a demon-possessed man. The disciples went out, and they tried to get this guy free of this demon, and, and it wasn't happening. And matter of fact, I mean, uh, the disciples were freaking out because this guy was kind of taking charge of the whole show. And the disciples had been laying hands on people. They'd been seeing miracles, but they didn't know what to do when it came to this whole demonic situation. And they were like, oh, this is not working. Jesus, um, can you come here for a minute? And Jesus came and he spoke the word and immediately the person was freed and the disciples were left scratching their heads And we get Mark 9 and 29. Mark 9 and 29 where Jesus said, This kind, he's talking about this demon that had a hold of this person's life, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. Some translations say that this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. So in other words, Jesus was saying, Listen, there's another element to this issue that can only be solved by prayer and fasting. Now, fasting is something we don't talk about a lot, it seems like, in Christian circles much anymore, because we all like to eat and we all like convenience. But if you're unaware of what fasting is, it's actually you abstaining from eating food, the thing that gives your body nutrition and energy and strength, and mainly just focusing on drinking water and praying, because that's really all you need to do to be sustained during a fasting period, and you're completely devoted, consecrated to God during that time. 
And oftentimes, a person will fast when they're seeking direction about a major life event, and they want to make sure that they're making the decision God wants them to make. If you're a single person, and you're engaged to someone, or you're uh, dating someone, and you look to be married, before you marry that person, I would recommend that you spend a couple days in prayer and fasting, both of you separately, to make sure that you're in the will of God. Before my wife and I moved up here four and a half years ago, we spent a few days fasting and in prayer to make sure that this was what God was wanting us to do, and we weren't just getting really excited about a wonderful opportunity. Because sometimes our emotional uh, state can get us into a lot of trouble, right? And our emotions can trick us into thinking that something's right or justifying something that we really want, and we try to make things happen. And we want to make sure that we're in the will of God. So we basically say, I'm going to tell my body no. I'm going to say you're not going to get that provision because I'm only going to focus on the one true provision in my life, and that's Jesus, because he's the sustainer of all life. Amen? And that's me dedicating and consecrating myself. I'm not even going to break from that time to even eat because I want to have that fleshly desire, that fleshly craving put under submission to my time and my focus with God. And Jesus said concerning this demon, he said this one really only comes out through prayer and fasting. So in other words, what we can gain from this is that some things don't go away by counseling and teaching. Counseling and teaching are great and they have their place, but there are some things that have control of people's lives that they have not spent time in prayer dedicated and consecrated to the Lord to see those things freed in their lives. They're just looking for the next step. They're looking for the next program. They're looking for the next fix-it-all, but they haven't spent the time in consecrated dedicated prayer and fasting to seek the will of God or to see his power move in their life so the chains of that thing can be broken through the power of the anointing. They haven't done those things because they're just looking for the latest, greatest, popular book. And they're looking for the latest, greatest, popular thing. Jesus said it himself. He said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. So there's some things in life. There's some things in life that it doesn't matter what information you have available to you. There's a spiritual stronghold that could be in someone's life or could be in your life, and those things are only broken through prayer and fasting. And I think that we need to dedicate ourselves to that more probably than we do. I I remember when I was a youth pastor in Arkansas that I took my youth group to a prayer and fasting weekend for teenagers, all right? So there's probably about 1,000 teenagers there, and all the groups are supposed to be praying and fasting, but I think our group was the only one that did. Because after the first night of the event, we spent time praying for schools, we spent time praying for our nation, we spent time in worship and prayer. It was really powerful and awesome. After that was over and we went back to our hotel, we saw a lot of youth group church vans parked outside of Burger King. And the kids in my youth group were just like plastered to the window of our church van going, can we go there too? And I said, nope. We're going back to the hotel. We're praying fasting by God. We're going to go in there. We're going to keep on praying and fasting. That's what we're here to do. Well, the second day came around, and we were going to eat after this event was over, which it was over at at lunchtime. But to end the event, they had a communion time, and they didn't have communion wafers like what we have. They, because there were so many kids there, they just took a bunch of saltine crackers, and they broke them up and put them on a plate and passed the plate. And when the plates came by our way, our youth group was hunting for the largest chunk 
of saltine cracker that they could find because they were in a place where they were like, yes, Jesus, I want your body. (laughs) Give me more, Lord, more. (laughs) But we were there to fast and pray, and we were there to dedicate ourselves to that for that event. And I think that there are times in your life where God will lead you in a season of prayer and fasting. And you need to submit to that. Perhaps God is even challenging you through this message. There's something in your life right now. You're like, yeah, we need to do that. I need to spend some time praying and fasting about that to seek the direction of the Lord or to see that thing broken off of my life or someone else's life, to see that come out by prayer and fasting. We find direction from God through prayer. Let's look at Luke chapter 6 and let's see where Jesus even did this. Luke chapter 6. This is a cool cool thing here that I want to point out to you. Luke 6 and verse 12 says, In these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And it seems like he went to the mountain a lot. And I wonder, did he always go to the same mountain in the same spot or did he go to different spots? When I spend time consecrated to the Lord in prayer and I try to cut out all distractions, I like to go to the same spot. I got me a spot here in the sanctuary. It's somewhere over there in the back that I always go and I always find. So if you're sitting back there, you know, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm joking. Luke 6 and verse 12 says, In these days Jesus went to the mountain to pray, and here's what he did. All night he continued in prayer to God. So during the day he went up to pray and he stayed there all night. Verse 13, here's the results. When the day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them the twelve whom he named apostles. So he took all the people that had been following him as disciples, and he chose who would be the apostles. But he didn't just go up and pick because he really liked this guy or really liked this person's skill or their personality or thought that they would make it. No, he spent focused time all night long because he knew that this was going to be an important decision. And he wanted to make sure that he had spent adequate time in prayer before making that decision. So if Jesus Christ is spending time in prayer, then who are we to say we don't need to pray? Why over and over in Scripture do we see Jesus continually praying, continually having this communion with the Father when he's trying to point out to us and show us the importance of the need for prayer in our own lives? The importance of alone prayer. I think it's great, like I said earlier, when couples pray, when a church prays. I think it's great when we have the different opportunities to pray as a group or as a family. But there's something to be said about the power of God that begins to move in your life when you spend time alone with God. And I would recommend to you that you would make it a daily practice to get alone with God. Yeah, pray in the car. Yeah, pray with your family. Yeah, pray with your church. Pray with your small group. Those are great. But don't neglect praying to God, just you and Him. It's beautiful weather out. Go out in the woods somewhere quiet. Go and sit by the lake, just you and God, and just talk to God. Find that quiet space in your house. If you have kids, that may be a little bit more challenging. If you need to come here to the church, we're here every morning from 8.30 to 9 for a focused time of prayer, and you are more than welcome to join Monday through Thursday, 8.30 in the morning to 9. Spend some time in prayer, and guess what? You can stay in here the rest of the day and pray if you so choose. 
You can also come and pray at the church on Sunday at 8 o'clock if you come to the first service. We spend about 15, 20 minutes or so in the time of prayer. And then at the second service, before it begins, at 10 after the hour, we have a consecrated time of prayer. And we've been doing that since the beginning of the year. And I want to encourage you to find that time where you can pray. Where, and, and let me just tell you what that looks like real quick, because I think some people uh, avoid praying or prayer meetings because they're afraid of being called upon to do something or because they feel inadequate to go to something like that. That's a lie from the enemy that will hinder your growth, and you need to dispel that lie, and you need to engage and step out. What it looks like, though, just to help set your expectation, your perception a little bit more, is we have some soft piano music going. It's mainly old-school hymns, soft piano, and I love it. And we're all just all over this place. Some people like to walk, and they just pray quietly to themselves. Some people go off in a corner. Some people kneel. Some people come up here and will kneel down here at the front because it kind of makes a nice little altar-type place. Some people just sit in their chair. Whatever it is, we just kind of let people do their thing. And they spend that time, just them and God. And then at the end of that time, we all just gather together and someone just kind of closes us out in prayer. Or if there's a need, we'll pray for the need or things like that. And that's what it looks like. So if you've been freaking out, not wanting to come because you're like thinking that Pastor Derek's going to call on you to like preach a sermon in the middle of that, you, you need to get rid of that, those fears and that, and that lie because I want you to engage and I want you to come to those things. So make sure that you make... Uh, that a priority because I think that a church that prays is a church that's doing what God wants them to do because Jesus himself said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. Amen, somebody? So we find direction through prayer and we prepare for the world's junk that it would try to bring our way. And we prepare for the attacks of the enemy by investing in prayer with God alone. So here's my charge to you today. To grow to the next level in prayer by creating that regular, personal, quiet, secret, alone time with God to spend with Him in prayer. And make it a priority. And make it something you go to for rest. And watch what God will do through that. I I, I want you to come tell me. I I really do. I want you to come find me and tell me once you've done this for a few days. I want you to give me a call. Shoot me an email. Take me out to lunch. (laughs) Find me on Sunday. Whatever it is. Find me on Sunday, whatever the case may be, and I want you to tell me about how God has been using that personal alone time where you have been using that as a point of rest in your life because I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen because God's faithful. He doesn't just really like me. He loves us all the same, and he, He likes us all the same, and He wants us to all engage in Him and pray to Him and have relationship with Him the same. Amen? Pastor Derek doesn't get any special favors from God because he's a pastor. I'm just a Christian just like anyone else. The fact that I'm a pastor just means I have a different role and responsibility concerning his local church. It doesn't mean I'm a Christian with an extra star by my name or anything. And so this idea that we have to have someone else always pray for us, you don't have to have that. I'll pray for you, absolutely. I'd love to pray for you if you need prayer and if you want me to pray for things. And when people ask you to do that, actually do it. Either record it, write it down, or, or, or make sure you do it right then and there, if that's the easiest thing to do. We used to have a guy that came to our church in Oklahoma. His name was Denny. And Denny, every time that you would say, 
uh, you weren't feeling well or anytime you'd ask him to pray for something, he'd grab your hands right there and pray for you. And you just had to get over it because that's, that's that guy and that's what he always did. And I love that guy for that. We need to be more like Denny. And we need to pray like right in that moment instead of doing the, 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 the thing that too many Christians do. Oh, brother, I'll be praying for you. Just pray for us. Okay, I will. Do you? Do you actually do that? Spend that time alone and bring those petitions before the Lord and pray. Have that time. Luke 11, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. The disciples wanted to know how to pray because they knew that if they could pray like Jesus prayed, that God would move and do things in them and through them that they could never do on their own. And they wanted that in their lives. Out of everything that could have been impressive to them that Jesus did, that they would want to have learned, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.